Turn your Bible, please, to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 30. John Getty was a Canadian missionary to the islands in the mid-1800s. When he arrived, he came face to face with a tribe of cannibals considered to be the most dangerous groups of people in the entire world. Violence, thievery, robbery, murder, all were part of the common view of that barbaric tribe. In 1849, early in his work, he wrote these words in his journal. In the darkness, degradation, pollution, and misery that surrounds me, I look forward in faith to a time when some of these poor islanders will unite in the triumph song of the ransomed souls. John Getty's spirit was remarkable. He believed by God's grace that he could make a difference. He dared to confront his own doubts with absolute belief in God's power. We need that kind of confidence today. Most of us as believers practice our faith very little. John Getty died just before Christmas, 1872. Inscribed on his gravestone was this testimony. In memory of John Getty, when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen here. One man made an eternal difference simply because he believed it could happen. Someone has said you cannot make a difference unless you are different. You think of that. You cannot make a difference unless you are different. That's what Paul had in mind when he was saying to the believers, Christians, over in Ephesus, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What a tremendous challenge to every one of us. How do we have the power in our lives that are needed, like John Getty had? Psalm 62, 11 says, twice have I heard this, power belongs to God. In Psalm 75, promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor the south, but God is a judge. He puts up one and puts down another. In Acts 1, 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And in Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Power is available. 
hydrogen power, atomic power, nuclear power, black power, white power, natural power. Power is the word for today. There's a power struggle among the nations. Our text simply says power belongs to God. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come on you. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That word power is from a Greek word dunamis. It sounds like dynamite. But that's not exactly what that word means in Greek. More, it means a seedling kind of power. You drop a seed into the ground, it gets moistened, it dies, the sun comes, and that seed begins to grow. It cannot grow unless it dies. It cannot bring influence, the beautiful flowers, the vegetables we eat, unless it dies first and is germinated by God the Holy Ghost. The kind of power spoken of here is the power to influence others for eternity. You think of that. Not explosive power, not a dynamite. During the 4th of July and ever since, we've heard cannon fire. That night it sounded like cannons were sounding all around us. And I think some people kept their cannon fire until last night and heard some more last night. Well, that is not the kind of power the Bible's speaking of. He's talking about the seedling power which dropped into our lives will give the influence and the fragrance of God to attract other people to the Lord. Power is the birthright of the believer. You think of that a minute. Power is the birthright of the believer. To as many as receive him, to gave them gave he power to become the sons of God. What, what kind of power is it? Not dynamite, not to make a big splash, but a tiny seedling power inside of you that changes your life, changes my life, and makes us influential in the lives of others to bring them to Christ. Well, if that's true, if it's a birthright, why is there so much weariness and weakness and staleness and discouragement and quietitis, lack of enthusiasm, hesitation, failure to move out on this faith? Well, Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, you have this power, but you've grieved the Holy Spirit. They said, how have we grieved the Holy Spirit? Clamor, evil speaking, dishonesty, wrong attitudes, lack of forgiveness. He said, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and clamor and he was being put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In Matthew 6.10, Part of the prayer that Jesus taught us, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
we can make earth more like heaven if we allow that seedling power to overflow through our lives into the lives of others. This comes about with three ingredients. Number one, holy contrition, humility. I do not mean by this a type of feeling that you're not equal to anybody else, so you can't do anything. You have a spirit of humility that says, well, I just can't do it. We teach a singing I could never do that. We sing in the choir, well, I can't sing. Uh, well, you serve as an usher, well, I couldn't do that. I, we speak, we give a testimony, I can't speak in public. Those are all fake spirits of humility. We had a deacons and a staff meeting last night at Barron River. Just about everybody there got up and said something. They didn't say it in their own power. Some of those that said something were very timid, but they got up and spoke about what Jesus meant in their lives. I attended the Korean prayer meeting in Korea many years ago. Every morning at 5.30, they have a prayer meeting. Nobody opens it, nobody closes it. People just come in, when they get in there, they kneel and start praying. And they pray out loud in Korea. Nobody led the prayer. They didn't say, well, Brother Joe, will you lead the prayer and you close the prayer? Just everybody started praying. And you could hear prayers going up to God for the next 30 minutes. After a while, they began to die down because people got up and left, went to work. I asked one of the preachers, how do they know to do that? Who calls them to prayer? You know, in Muslim countries, they have a little noise, a little call that says, time to pray, and they have a little sound up there and so on. They don't do that over there. The answer from the preachers was, the people just want to pray. So they know the church will be open at 5.30 in the morning, so they come to pray. And nobody leads the prayer, they just come and pray. Jesus said, this kind cometh not up by prayer and fasting. Holy humility will lead us to depend on God when nothing else will. That's the power that God can give. It's a quiet, seedling power deep within us says, Lord, I need you. I need you every hour. I must tell Jesus all of my burdens. I cannot bear these burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. And then that challenge that Brother Brown gave us a while ago, are ye able, said the Master, to be crucified with me? Yes, we are able. Our spirits are thine. Remold and make us like the divine. And we confess our needs. Secondly, not only holy contrition, humility, but holy conduct. In Isaiah 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And then over in book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. It you shall show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Six identifying marks are mentioned about a believer. Number one, a chosen generation. Number two, a royal priesthood. Number three, a holy nation. Number four, a peculiar people. Number five, in time past, we we're not a people. Number six, now you're the people of God. And as a people of God, we live holy lives. Lives that reflect the holiness of God. You just think of that. Everywhere you go, people say, I'm not sure who that was, but he's a little bit like Jesus. There was a man who used to live in Wales. He went in and out among the people doing good. Nobody ever seemed to remember what his name was. He was an older man. They didn't even know where he lived. One day, somebody saw him in a store. They said, who is that man? The answer was, I don't know what his name is, but he's a lot like Jesus. Anybody ever mistaken you for Jesus? Holy contrition, holy conduct. You think of the contrition of our Lord, humility. He was God in human flesh, but he did not hang on to this reputation, laid it all aside, became humble as a man, took upon him the form of man, and then the cross. That was Jesus. And on the cross, he didn't get mad at the people who crucified him. He didn't say, well, God's going to take care of you. No, no. He looked at the Heavenly Father and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have an idea. They don't have a clue what they're doing. And you know that's how compassionate the Lord is with us. If he can be like that with us, can we not be like that with each other? And love and forgive and look over people's failures and problems. Thirdly, not only a holy contrition and holy conduct, but a holy confidence. Abel offered to the Lord a more appropriate sacrifice than Cain. You think of that. Cain did the best he could. A lot of people today are doing the best they can. I've talked to people about being saved and so preacher, I'm doing the best I can. I just can't go to church all the time and I can't do this and I can't do it, but I'm doing the best I can. The problem is the best we can is not good enough. The best we can has never gotten anybody to heaven. Cain did the best he could. He took of his vegetables and herbs and offered them to the Lord, and God didn't accept it. You know what Abel did? He remembered what God did for Adam and Eve. God went out and slew an animal. He shed blood. He took the skins of those animals, of that animal, and covered their nakedness. Today, people want to uncover their nakedness, wear as little clothes as they possibly can. I'm talking about men and women, both. How different that is 
from what happened in Eden. Well, you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 of Hebrews, and a mark or chapter. Listen to this. By faith Enoch, by faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith Moses, by faith Sarah, by faith Joshua, by faith Gideon, by faith Barak, by faith Samson, by faith, by faith David, by faith Samuel, on and on and on. They did all this by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they that come to God must believe that he is his reward of them that diligently seek him. You know, when uh, God came to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go down to Egypt and tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. You know what Moses said? Who am I? God had to deal with that. The question was not who was Moses. The question was who was God. And Moses, God said, Moses, I'm telling you to do this. I'm not telling you to go down and let the people go. I'm telling you, you go down there and say, God said, let my people go. When Moses finally understood that, he went down to Egypt. He said over and over again, God said, let my people go. Old Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And God allowed several plagues to come on the Egyptians. And finally, God said, Moses, you go in there and tell old Pharaoh, I said, let my people go. And if you won't do it, the death angel will pass through the land, and the eldest son in all of Egypt will die unless they see the blood. When the death angel passes over and he sees the blood, he will pass over you. Where there's no blood, there will be death. What a prophecy. Thousands of years later, the Lord Jesus Christ came hung on an old rugged cross, the blood of God streaming down that cross, forming a pool of blood the further across the sinners plunged beneath that blood should lose all their guilty stains. How do you appropriate that blood? By faith. By faith. It's not long some drawn out thing. You don't get the blood by being baptized or by joining a church or by turning over a new leaf or doing the best you can. You get that blood by trusting what Jesus did on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. When we allow him to come into our hearts, he forgives and cleanses and saves us. Then last of all, holy control. Holy control. Be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I die daily. Holy control means no longer is it what do I want, but Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Saul was a great warrior for the devil. He came to Jerusalem, studied the feet of Gamaliel. He learned all the enemy ugly things about Christianity he could learn. He learned to hate Jesus. 
He went out and arrested people, put them in prison, had them killed. And on the way to Damascus one day, a light shone down. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul said, who are you, sir? Who are you? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You know what Saul said? Lord, what will you have me to do? In that brief moment, God changed Saul of Tarsus to Paul, the great missionary. God can do the same thing for anybody here in this room today. If you'll invite him to come in, he'll cleanse you, he'll save you, he'll forgive you, he'll give you an assignment, and if you're willing to accept that assignment, he'll use you. A lot of people are not used because they refuse the assignment. If you accept God's assignment, he'll use you. No matter your past, no matter what you've done. He took David, who had sinned to the uttermost, committed adultery, had the woman's husband killed in the front of the battle, and was confronted with it. He said, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He confessed his sin. He asked God to forgive him. And listen, when we confess our sin, whether it's a sin of resentment, the sin of upset, the sin of wickedness, the sin of attitude, sin of discontentment, whatever it is, when we confess it, God is able to forgive and he'll cleanse and he'll use us. Is there anybody here today who would say that to the Lord? Lord, I want, I want to be used by you. Lord, what will you have me to do? And the voice comes out, are you able, said the master, to be crucified with me? And many have said, yes, Lord, we're able. We're able to do it. That's what John said. That's what many have said who are in this auditorium today. You're not better than somebody else. You just got saved. You just got changed. And Jesus came to live his life through you. So wherever you go, you're a holy nation. You're a holy people. You're a peculiar people. You're God's people. Let's bow together in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, is there anybody here who would like to say, I want to be God's people? I want to be used by God. I don't want to go on any longer in my own sin. I want Christ to forgive and cleanse me and heal me and use me. I give my past to you, Lord. I give my present to you. I give my future to you. Here I am. Cleanse me and forgive me and use me. Father, thank you for the opportunity of this service today. Draw someone to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What page are you? 468. 468. Without him, I could do nothing. This is God's invitation. As we sing this morning, if you've heard God speak to your heart, come to him. Let him have you. If your membership is in another church and God wants you here, you come. Move your letter to this church. If you've never been saved, I plead with you, don't leave without Christ today. 
and God may be dealing with somebody to serve him, would you really, Lord, say, Lord, use me? Why are we saying, you come to Christ?